0: Hey, everybody. Today, Roto rounds up the month of May 2020. But before we get to that, I'm going to have to editorialize a little bit, folks, um, because I'm sure, like many of you, I have been watching what's been going on for the last week from the comfort of my own home. And, of course, I am heartbroken because, of course, Black Lives Matter. There's nothing new there. This is a problem that's been going on for... Countless generations, and uh, it's just that now everybody has a camera, so it's more front and center than it's ever been before. And um, you know, if there's one thing that really stuck with me over the last few days, it was a specific hashtag that i um, you know, it just you know, it just gets to the core of it from my perspective, which is you know, hashtag white silence equals white consent, and I don't consent. I think the system has to change. The system has to go away. The system has to be rewritten because it is well past time and we all have to do our part. And that means if you've got a platform like me, I I can't be silent. And so at the very least, you're going to be seeing this shirt a lot from now on, folks. I'm going to run this shirt into the ground, quite frankly. Although still, still, Make America Think Harder is not going anywhere anytime soon. Because, I mean, hey, those two messages, I think, go hand in hand. Um... And, uh, you know, if, if you don't have a platform, then if you've got money, please donate. There are so many great organizations that are helping lead the way in fighting this fight. Uh, they're not very hard to find. Check the links in the show notes uh, for, for just a couple of suggestions. And, um, you know, because we all have to work to make this world better for everybody. And, um, you know, and oh, in closing, one more thing before we get to the games. If you haven't, I so, so strongly recommend uh, the most recent live episode of Fat Man Beyond, which is Kevin Smith's podcast where he talks about pop culture with Mark Bernardin, who is a fantastic writer. In the most recent episode, he did a brilliant, um, amazing, uh, you know, uh, articulate and passionate and moving and funny and engaging, off the cuff, uh, soliloquy about the state of the world and his perspective and his family's perspective and oh my gosh, it does so much to humanize and open eyes and everybody needs to watch that. Uh, you know hit that eye in the top right corner, fiend. Uh, go watch the link in the show notes. Please watch it. I guarantee it will be worth your time. Um, and uh, yeah. So uh, that's it, folks. Uh, editorial over, and uh, let's get to what you came here for, the games. And, um, so uh, last month was kind of a slow month. Jen and I only played 15 new titles. But I'm actually going to be talking about 19 today, because in case you hadn't heard, I've got a new contributor on the channel, Shay Parker, and he's been covering some stuff as well. And I thought, well, you know, hey, uh, in case you missed his videos, I should mention them. So I have got four games that Shay has covered over the last couple months, in addition to the 15 that I will be counting down from our least favorite to our new game of the month. So for starters, Shay brought us Call to Adventure, which I was very, very impressed by. Uh, It's a very simple, very lightweight gateway game that is really kind of gamifies the idea of coming up with a dramatic narrative backstory for an epic adventuring character. I saw some people posting on Shay's videos that they actually like using this game specifically to create role player characters and make a game out of it. And Shay did a great job of showing just how much Fun it can be. And really, the most important thing about this game, the gameplay itself is fairly light with some simple rune casting instead of dice placement to you know overcome challenges that define who your character is. But really, it's the stories that evolve every single time you play that make Call to Adventure special. And if you want to know more, you can check out Shay's run-through. Then he got us Pax Premier, second edition. And I gotta say, folks, this Run through makes me so b- sad, so very sad that I am a Caribou player because. Wow, does it look good. And um, also, this is the video that Shay introduced his new left-brain, right-brain approach to filming, uh, which was hilarious, and I absolutely love it. It's an example of how he is actually improving on my formula in his videos, and I think he's just going to add so much to the channel. Because Packed Premiere 2nd Edition is not something I would normally play, but it looks like such a brilliant tableau-building card game, um, with all kinds of shifting alliances uh, that players have to navigate in um, I think it's 18th century Afghanistan? Or was it 19th? All right, all right, all right, yeah. Go watch the run-through, find out more. Uh, Shea does a brilliant job bringing the game to life, exactly like I would. And it uh, builds up to a very, very uh, dramatic uh, moment in the game. And I was really captivated the whole time with Shay's run-through of uh, Pax 2nd Edition. Then he also did a couple of Kickstarters. Sea of Legends, um, which is a Game of piracy on the high seas. Uh, Shay was not satisfied doing it all himself. He actually brought his roommate in. Uh, so you had uh, you know, a mano a mano of the two of them going at each other. And again, I had a great time watching it. And while the game doesn't necessarily for me and Jen, because it does have a lot of dice rolling and all of that, it does seem like it's a very, very clever game with some really interesting systems about how you have a custom pirate captain who has specific objectives that are unique to you every single time you play as you sail the seven seas and get into all kinds of trouble. And um, I don't remember, is it still on Kickstarter right now? I, I Maybe. Uh, it was a paid preview that Shay uh, covered it. But if you'd like to check it out, uh, go uh, watch his video. And then also, he got a more pirate action going on with Tiny Epic Pirates, which was another paid Kickstarter preview he did. And this is live right now. This is basically, um, well, a very tiny uh, game that features epic gameplay, like the entire Tiny Epic series. And the, the thing about this one is, all the gameplay action is driven by a customized um, rondelle. Everybody has a unique one that really gives you different strengths and weaknesses, and different things you can focus on in this game of, once again, high-seas piracy. By the way, folks, we are in a kind of a pirating golden age, it seems. There's going to be some more piratey stuff I'll be talking about probably in next month's roundup as well. But um, you know this w- this is definitely a smaller, quicker playing game. They're both fairly lightweight. This one really focuses a lot on pick up and deliver as you are moving goods from one port to another and running afoul of each other or the uh, the you know the Royal Navy trying to chase you down as you get into all kinds of piratey hijinks. So. That was a very piratey time for Shay. Um, and again, I'm so happy to have him on the channel. But with that out of the way, those were his four recent games he's covered. Um, none of which I've played, but uh, again, I cannot recommend his videos enough. He does such a great job of making these things come to life in the exact same way I do. um you know, the highs, the lows going into the depth of your thought process and like I said, he's really improving on my formula, I think. Anyway, uh, we're all happy to have him very lucky to yeah we're getting more and more stuff from him as time goes on. but You've been very patient. Let's go on to what Jen and I played this month, starting with number 15: The uh, Unlocking Insanity. Now, this is a roll and write game that um, has some really cool features. <clears throat> its heart, we are uh, cultists trying to um, you know, worship the Cthulhu mythos beast, and um, worrying about gathering all this arcane knowledge that might drive us insane. Because every round, there's going to be a bunch of dice rolled. When it's my turn, I roll them. I specify which dice um, I am interested in using, and that affects everybody else around the table as well. And the trick of the game is balancing trying to get an exact specific amount of knowledge you need to hit big bonus goals while also dealing with the fact that you are taking on insanity, and it's literally filling up your brain. And um, if you have more insanity of a of a given uh, you know in a given section of your brain than you do the knowledge that fills that brain, you go a little bit insane, and you have to draw an insanity card that gives you a really big um, a setback that you'll have to deal with for the game. But the interesting thing is the first player to go insane in whichever um, category it is that we're talking about gets a big bonus as well. So there's this kind of... we're almost racing to go mad, but we don't want to go too mad, because if we can be the first to get these bonuses, it really turns things around. Now, um, it came in at number 15. You know, It's the bottom of our list for this month for a couple of reasons. One, there is an altogether overwhelming amount of take that. Uh, A lot of those powers that you can use once you go insane, you can uh, deliberately push on your opponents and really hinder them and slow them down and mess up their plans. And generally, like, well, boy... I just don't know about this. And you know, so it was not a good fit for us. I honestly I did not expect this much player interaction, this much take that in a roll and write. So that was an issue for us. And then the other issue is, um, you know, the both the knowledge and the insanity are represented by numbers, and you're constantly increasing the amount. And there was a surprising amount of math you had to do in this game because you know you could lose. Um, you know, or you, or I shouldn't say you can't lose insanity, but if your knowledge increases over your insanity level, you become sane again, so you can dump those. Um, you know, and so you're constantly every turn having to double check. Right? Okay, am I still insane in this? No, oh, well, no, no, it adds up. I'm in crater, but then next turn, oh, now I got more insanity, and, and there was there was a lot of that. Don't get me wrong. It's simple math. I mean, it's very, very simple addition and subtraction type stuff. But it was ever-present. And while the overall game was at a gorgeous presentation, really uh, great dice, although there were some color issues with the dice, and um, you know the player sheets were really thick and glossy... Um, Overall, the take that and the uh, high prevalence of just lots of recalculation of math um, kind of got in the way of us enjoying what is otherwise, I think, a really sharp, interesting little game. And if you are looking for a game that maybe encourages a lot of math, and you don't mind a little bit of, oh, well, you thought you were going to do that? No, you're going to do this other thing now, because I'm more insane than you, and that's what I say you do. You might want to check out um, Unlocking Insanity. Then we've got... Um, Maharaja, which is a paid uh, Kickstarter preview I covered this month. And it's actually an update to a classic Kramer and Kiesling game that came out I want to say, I think, in 2004. So, I mean, this has been around for a long time. And the it's an area control game where players are rushing to get the most influence in various cities and villages around the map, and having to move their character from place to place so they can build. The crux of the game, what makes it really special, is at the beginning of every round, everybody in secret plots two actions that they are going to do on their turn. And so I can try to say well I'm really going to you know push my influence in this city because that's where the maharaja is and I want to score a lot of points at the end of this round but you know I might push and get in there but what if you're doing the same thing? I don't know what you're gonna do, and we all have to plan in secret, and then um, we don't all reveal at the same time. If I'm the first player, I reveal, do what I want, and then everybody else around the table is waiting to reveal on their own turn. So you are really taking a lot of stabs in the dark in this game, trying to figure out what your opponents are gonna do, what are they gonna value, and should you fight the good fight or you know um, go and try to figure out where the Maharaja is gonna be next and focus your efforts there, or maybe. Change where the Maharaj is going to go. You've really invested in a given city because you know that's where the Maharaj is going? Not if I change his plan. So there's a lot of brinksmanship that comes into this game. And there's also... Every game you play, you get a different combination of special powers that players are constantly trading back and forth throughout. That really mix up the gameplay a lot. And the game, the original Maharaja, only came with a fixed number, but this game comes with like twenty. So every time you play, there's going to be a lot of different game-changing uh, effects in um, in in the in the simulation. So. There is no doubt in my mind, this is an excellent game. It's from Kramer and Kiesling. Even though it's one of their early ones, I mean, the design still holds up. And what's interesting is, the developer on this game is... Um, oh, Testini? The... was it Testini? Oh, I don't remember now. Um, oh, oh, oh. And I can't all of a sudden think of the um, uh, the designer... oh my gosh, how can I forget this? The designer of so many, you know, uh, Voyages of Marco Polo, and, um... Ah! Uh, Zolkin the Mayan Calendar! Why can I not think of his name? This is ridiculous. I am going to have to do a Google search. Brain! I, I think I'm basically uh, having a bit of insanity going on here. Uh, designer. Um... Uh, I've just forgotten what I just said. Zulkin. Please tell me the designer of Zulkin. So, uh, you know how that just happens sometimes? Right now, i got to open this up and look up... I really should write things down before I start filming. But I don't expect my brain. Simone Luciani! Simone Luciani was the developer on this game, and I know he had a lot of input design into this as well. And I think that's amazing, because Simone is on fire these days, even if I couldn't remember his name for some reason. Um, you know, he's just having huge, wonderful Euro hit after Euro hit. And he's coming in, working with, you know, two... Uh, you know, working on a classic from two of the masters of Euro design, and it all comes together to be a fantastic design. Although, like I said, remember, folks, this was a paid Kickstarter preview, so you take my pains with a grain of salt. Why does it come in at number 14 for us? it's a fairly aggressive game. It is an area control game. And while I thought the design was brilliant, and I see why it's a classic, I mean, there's a lot of people who still play this game today, even though it came out decades ago. Um, Or almost two decades ago, or a decade and a half ago. But for Jen and my taste, while we thought it was really clever, we did spend too much of our gray matter really trying to mess with each other and slow each other down. So, brilliant design. Very, very sharp. uh, You know, three superpowers of board game design coming together in my number 14, Maharaja. Then we go on to number 13, which was... Bop, bop. Empires of the North. I actually, Jen and I played the two standalone expansions, Roman Banners and Japanese Islands. Uh, actually, Jen played the Jen played the Japanese ones. I played the Roman ones. Uh, for uh, each uh, expansion, comes with two different. So we played that way, and then we swapped. And she played the other Roman, and I played the other Japanese. And I gotta say. These are very, very cool. Uh, Empires of the North, which I covered last year, is a card tableau engine building game that is absolutely brilliant in design. Um, And... uh, uh, you know, it's basically a kind of offshoot of the Imperial Settlers series. And it's great to see that it looks like Empires of the North is going to be getting the same type of expansion support that, um, Imperial Settlers did because it certainly deserves it. And Jen and I were really impressed. Uh, like I said, between these two expansions, there's four different tribes, I guess. And each of them has very, very different, game-changing, unique elements that make them play unlike anything else, and they were all very, very sharp. Um, you know, we enjoyed them all. Uh, some were much more complex than others. If you're trying to decide, which should I get? Uh, should I get the Roman one or the Japanese? I would say the Japanese Islands expansion... One of the two tribes is probably the most complex, difficult, challenging to leverage one in the entire game. I mean, like a real cut above everything else. It's the one where it introduces this new idea of um, faraway ports that automatically harvest things, but then you have to do special extra actions that don't exist in the game to be able to move things around from port to port. It really ratchets up the game complexity significantly, and it's a very challenging um, tribe to play well. The two uh, um, new ones that came in Rome, one is very straightforward, and one just introduces this new idea that's very reminiscent of Glory to Rome, the idea of building foundations uh, that you can use to speed up your ability to expand your little Roman empire. So I would definitely say Rome is the um, the easier one to get into. The, Japa- the Japanese island ones is a bit heavier, a bit more complex. Uh, also, the other thing, if I recall correctly, it was the Roman uh, expansion that also finally comes with replaced uh, player chits for scoring so that everybody can remember right I'm the green player those are me very important should have been in the base box so um Empires of the North was a phenomenal design um these are phenomenal expansions why is it at number 13 Jen and I have now played enough Empires of the North. This is not a reflection of these expansions. They are great. If you love Empires of the North, you must get them both. They bring so much new stuff in. New distant lands to conquer, all that stuff. But as Jen and I found ourselves playing more and more and more Empires of the North to get both of these really covered, we realized... And I was always worried about this... There is too much take that in Empires of the North for our taste because you get these raised tokens, and the raise tokens can be used for other things that aren't about trying to tear your little empire down or at least um, you know cog up the works or gl- gl- you know, gl- glom up the cogs, whatever. Uh, I, you, you don't have to use the, these little axes to attack each other. But the more and more Jan and I played this game, the more and more we realized, you know what? Sometimes you really do need to do that. Sometimes your opponent has such an amazing engine that is just making money for them every round, or whatever it might be, that their engine does. And all you gotta do is just spend this one raise... Yeah, I could use this raise token to go conquer a foreign land, but none of those are going to be as useful to me as just messing up your engine so you can't use it for one round. And the more we played, the more we found, it was very, very hard to avoid that. The more we realized Empires of the North is not for us, sadly. But if it's for you, you must get Rome and Japan expansions. They're both great. And that's my number 13. Then we move on to number 12, Sunflower Valley, which is a lovely little um, card drafting game uh, where players... It's actually a sequel, I guess, or a spin-off of a game that I covered. Um, oh, what was it? Jeez, uh, Sunflower Valley, the uh, roll and right game, which was already a very sharp game. They've taken the same setting and turned it into a card drafting, tile laying games, or not tiling. You're laying down cards in a grid, trying to score lots of points. And you know, you can see that I need lots of sunflowers because the way I built my little valley. And so, are you going to hand me those sunflowers that you don't need, or are you going to use them for yourself to keep them from me? And it works wonderfully. This is a a I can't say it's too lightweight. I would say it's in the same realms as Sushi Go. Uh, because there's a bunch of different types of cards. They all function in different ways. And you know, every round, I've got these ones. I've got to decide which one I'm going to keep for myself and what's going to go to my neighbor. Um, it's about the same complexity level... But I found this game to be so much more richer and engaging because, you know, it's not just a matter of getting these cards and putting them into set collection. You've got to get them to lay out on your grid. And you want to put these sunflowers over here. You want to put this mountain over here. Every time you play, there's a different collection or a a selection of of objectives that you combine. Um, and so maybe sometimes you care about mountains, maybe sometimes you don't. and um, But trying to get these... The ideal thing is to get a mountain in position, or a sunflower, or a town, or whatever it would be, that affects everything around it. But if as soon as I put this town down here, that means I want to put certain things next to it. But that means I'm not putting other things in a spot that I need to be able to bring it all together. And so the game very quickly escalates into super um, tough decisions about what are you going to sacrifice. You can't do everything. Even if you can get all the cards, because the draft is going to go your way, you can't play them uh, to peak efficiency, and you have to focus on one avenue or another. And I was really impressed. It's super sharp. And I actually liked it quite a bit. Um, My wife, Jen, she liked it too, but we would both have to agree, like I said right up front, this is not going to replace you know a bigger heavier car drafting game like say seven wonders um this is still a very very lightweight game um with a fair bit of tension but i think in the end it was still a little bit on the uh we would have liked to see something a little bit heavier, a little bit crunchier, uh, because it, we would likely play Seven Wonders over this, just because we want even deeper, richer stuff. This game is over very, very quickly. Um, you only get a certain number of cards. You build it up. You score your points. And this is an amazing next step. If you've got folks in your life who love Sushi Go and you've introduced that to them, and it's a great first-step gateway into the wider, this is the perfect next step. It's gorgeous. It's so attractive. It's simple to play. um, And it's very, very fast and very, very compelling. It's really a lovely little card-drafting game. My number 12, Sunflower Valley. Then, or actually, I should say Sunflower Valley. Oops. Sunflower Valley, the card game, is the full name. Sunflower Valley was the original Roll and Write, which was also a very sharp game. Sorry, folks. I jumped the gun and went to my number 11 a little early. Cupcake Empire. This is a very sharp uh, engine-building game from the designer. Why am I trying to remember stuff? I will not remember. Al Letek, I think? Uh, I covered another one of his games, and I shouldn't be trying to... My brain is shutting down as soon as... um, Oh, Yukon Airways, which I covered last year. I thought that was a very, very sharp design, but it wasn't really for us because it featured too much pick-up and deliver, but really neat dice-drafting game. Uh, Cupcake Empire is another uh, dice... is a dice engine-building game, instead of a dice-drafting pick-up-and-deliver game. And it is very sharp. It's gorgeous. It comes with really lovely components, including these very, very interesting dice. The dice themselves don't have... are matte finished. They don't have the regular shiny, glossy look of dice, and that kind of made them almost feel like little confectionery things. I mean, it's... It's, it's weird how the theme comes to life, because everybody's trying to make the best cupcake empire. Uh, in a town full of cupcake lovers, whoever can sell to the most customers is going to win the game. And the interesting thing is, the customers are represented by meeples that have a shirt color and a pants color that represents, well, if they have a yellow shirt, they must love lemon cupcakes. And if they have green pants, they love mint cupcakes. So the perfect thing is to get a lemon mint cupcake uh, so you can sell like crazy to these people. But it's all based on the dice, because you're going to roll these dice, put them in columns, and that's going to limit you to what actions you can do in a given round, because you can only pick one of the columns. And the interesting thing is, well, this is an incredibly powerful action I could do right now, because all my dice tended towards that column. But I don't want to do that action right now. I want to do this other one that didn't get any. Now, as you might imagine, in any good dice game, there's lots of dice mitigation ways you can move things from column to column or kind of queue up wild card dice. It's a really sharp, clever game, and um, and it's amazing. It's very, very fast as well. The game is easily—I mean, Jen and I found we were like getting a game done in like a half an hour. But um, in spite of that, it's incredibly. Incredibly crunchy. Or not incredibly crunchy. It's, this isn't gonna this isn't like some Spielworks game or something like that, but uh, it would look to be a very simple light truffle of a game, but there is a lot of heavy thinking that goes on to right, these are what the dice have done. Either, oh, this is great, it worked in my favor, or things didn't quite work out, but that's okay because there's always something you can do with them. And uh, yeah, we really enjoyed this game quite a bit. I think people might be uh, thinking... they. I mean, in fact, I don't think. I know. I saw people saying... I saw lots of people saying on BoardGameGeek, yeah, this game is great. I really like it. I wish it lasted longer. Because that's the thing. This game is over in a heartbeat. It's a race. Everybody has two tracks there. How much money they've made... Um, but what their production capacity is as well. Because um, if you're not producing enough, you're not going to make money. Um, and, and really, uh, you've got to keep these two tracks going up. But it's a race to cross. I forget. I think the number was... I, w- I want to make sure number was 60. But there's a certain threshold. That as soon as somebody crosses that threshold, boom. The game is over. And uh, it starts out slow. We're building, building. But then things snowball incredibly quickly. And uh, next thing you know, oh my god, uh, you know we're only halfway to our goal, but I can see you're going to win next round if i don't figure something out right now. And so the game end can sneak up on you. And i think that's going to be something that people are taking up. You have to understand that going in. This is a game that's not going to last for very many rounds. It seems like it feels like you're going to be building up this engine and later on it'll do many things, but later on never comes cuz the game is over so quick. So, it's all about bird in the hand. Forget about that stuff in the bush. There's no time to go looking for that bird in the bush. And um, if you go in with the right attitude, i think you'll have a great time. It is sharp, it is well presented Al I think that was his name. I definitely think he is uh, becoming a designer to watch. And that was my number 11 of the month, Cupcake Empire. We actually really liked it. I almost did it. uh, In the live, uh, uh, Rado runs through live. And I might still... Uh, Sharp game number eleven, Cupcake Empire number ten. However, is a uh, Pandemic Hot Zone North America, and you know it's no secret I love Pandemic. It's no secret Jen loves Pandemic. Pandemic changed our lives, and it was very very interesting to see a new uh, take on Pandemic. This is basically Pandemic Express, all of or almost ninety percent of the core gameplay of Pandemic in a package that's super tiny. You, if you toss the box, as I said, in the, you could throw this into a large sandwich bag and take it with. With you anywhere and play it anywhere. And you will get the, like I said, 90% of the pandemic experience in 10 to 15 minutes. It's over so quickly. Um, it's interesting. Pandemic, I talked about this in the video when I did it, has a lot of peaks and valleys. Things get tough, and we're it looks like we're doomed, but then we solve a problem and then things go easy for a while, and then things get tough again, and you're on this roller coaster. Hot zone North America is like the roller coaster only ever goes over one hill. Things are getting bad, bad, bad. Can you beat it? Yes, you did. Or no, you didn't. And then it's over. Uh, because it's like a roller coaster where there's only one. And I really enjoyed it. Uh, it works great. Uh, it's I would have liked to see more characters. There's only four playable characters. You're kind of used to eight from previous pandemics. Again, this is a tighter package. And such a cheap package, too. Um, but... Uh, my other uh, issue that keeps it from the upper echelons of pandemic because I really appreciated being able to get the pandemic feel in literally 10 minutes, uh, and that includes setup and teardown time, folks. I cannot stress just how super fast this is if you're an experienced pandemic player. I think I did my full run through complete in under uh, 20 minutes, and that was with me explaining everything along the way. So. I would have liked to see more characters. That's a minor thing. My bigger issue was I'm really surprised that the game is very easy. Uh, Even if you increase it to maximum difficulty, according to the rules, Jen and I we haven't lost yet, and I think that's a bummer. My complaint is why didn't a previous version of the pandemic came with like four difficulty levels? This one only comes with two. I wanted to see some more. Uh, You know, you know, really? No, actually, I'm sorry. It comes with three difficulty levels: super easy pretty easy and easy. And we wanted to see the hard difficulty level. If you watch my video, you'll see I talked about what I think would make a very good house rule variant to increase the difficulty to give me that main thing that I was missing. Because Jen and I, when we play Pandemic, we play on the harder difficulty levels because we'd like to be challenged. And this uh, did not push us as hard as we'd like. Which is why, I mean, Pandemic's my number one game of all time, but Pandemic Hot Zone comes in at my number 10 for the month of May 2020. Uh, But anyway, let's move on to number 9. We've got Extra Extra, which is a worker placement game that I've had on my shelves for half a decade. I have to admit, um, the designer, I ran into him in a corridor at Essen many, many years ago, and he said, Oh, I love your show. Here, take a copy of my game. Bye! And I'm like, oh, well, who was that masked man? And I never got around to playing it, but it's been on the Roto Request geek list for so long, it had so many thumbs, that it finally made it to the top. And so Jen and I said, this is the month. Finally, we got it out. And I gotta say, folks, this is a very, very sharp worker placement game all about trying to run, I don't know, Probably uh, a the thirties, forties era newspaper. Sending your reporters to spots around the globe to get all the best stories, um, you know, spending time, you know, at, you know, the editor's desk, copy and pasting. It's It's kind of sort of a little bit of a polyomino thing, because you get these uh, tiles that represent the stories you want to put on the front page of your paper, and you've got to line them up to you know, use your front page grid layout to maximum effect, Uh, which means you've got to get, ideally, the right stories based on what type of paper you run, because you've got certain things you specialize in, but you've got to get the right sizes as well. And every round, new stories pop up all around the world, and to get them, we do worker placement. But it's not as simple as that. We do a worker placement slash auction approach. Because if I say, oh, i got to get to Tokyo. There's three stories over there, and two of them are perfect for me. Okay, I'll just put a worker over there. And then you say, oh, you know what? Or, uh, my, my reporter over there. You come along and say, well, you know, I'll put my reporter, and I'll give him an extra 100 bucks. That's our primary resource in the game, is money. And that will kick you out. So it's like a lot of the worker placement is really bids because oh you bid a hundred well I'll go right back in and I'll bid two hundred so there's this extra level of, of depth to the worker placement because sooner or later only one person is gonna get all those stories out of Tokyo and am I gonna let you get them for nothing no of course I'm gonna bid you up uh, but then I might get stuck on them and I don't even want them um, so it's really really interesting not all the worker placement spots are like that but the most important ones are and. As a result, this game definitely is a little bit more in your face than most worker placement games. Because most worker placement games, hey, it's just a race. Oh, you got the best space. Well, I guess I'll have to get it next round. That's too bad. But you know what? I got something else. But here, uh uh-uh. If you make enough money... Uh, if you save your cash, you can get whatever you want, but your opponents can make you pay a very high, very painful price to do it. And it works great. Also, interestingly, it worked fantastically as a two player game, and I've read that this game works phenomenally as a six player game as well, which is super rare. I mean, there was definitely a lot of focus on ensuring that the scaling worked well. So, uh, I-, I thought it was really good, and I could see keeping this game. It, like I said, it's a bit more rough and tumble than what we normally look for. Uh, but we we definitely enjoyed it, and uh, we just treated it as an auction where, are you really going to go? You think you can get that for only 100 bucks? You realize I'm going to bid you up by at least 300 Are you sure that's the move you want to make? That's how we played it. That's because that's how we play auction games, and it worked well for us. Um, so I, I'm very impressed by it. I don't know if it eclipses Lancaster, though. Because uh, Lancaster, a game... it's like the second game I ever covered to my channel, is an excellent worker placement slash auction game as well, where you send your workers out, but they are supplemented by squires in the same way that in this game, they're supplemented by... your reporters are, su- are supplemented by money. And uh, this game definitely has its own strengths. It has that whole Tetris uh, tile land game that I really like. I-, I like the theme, too. But man, I love Lancaster so much, and I'm not quite sure... Uh, if, if a person's shelf would have room for both. Certainly, Extra Extra is the one to go for if you want a really high player count game. Um, and I, I just gotta say, I, I'm, I'm sorry it took me so long to get this thing to the table, because we were very, very impressed by my number 9 of the month, Extra Extra. Okay, now we move on to number 8, Dollars to Donuts, which is another paid preview uh, for a Kickstarter game that... Um, is it launched yet? I think it has. <sighs> um, you know, these days, folks, I... Everything just blurs together. But anyway, you can go check out my Kickstarter or my uh, my uh, preview I did for the Kickstarter if you want to know more. But this is a very sharp tile drafting and then tile laying game where you're making donuts, lots and lots of donuts, so so many donuts, and it's another very very sharp fast-playing, quick game that is over-before-you-know-it lickety-split. And the thing that really elevates this game for me, that was really special, is the fact that the tiles that we are drafting, which represent donut halves, and we're going to put them onto our grid and line them up with other donuts to create full donuts, which is our currency in the game. Different types of donuts um, can go to different types of customers and score points in various and sundry ways. The interesting thing is this game gives you so much flexibility and freedom in the tiling, in a way that most games do not. A lot of tile layers. Hey, once I put a tile down, I have to expand from that tile. Nope, I can put tiles wherever I want here. That's not uncommon, but you know, it's uh, that's always appreciated. It gives you that flexibility and freedom. But what's more important here, because all the donut uh, tiles are these long, you know, uh, straight, elongated one by four tiles, that's what they're all are, and you don't have enough room to fit everything perfectly, the game allows you to let your donuts hang over the edge of your board. And that It doesn't sound like much, but it gives you so much control. And I really, really appreciate it. It Really elevated the experience. um, Because I just felt free. And don't get me wrong, I generally like the straight jacket. It's one of the things I love about a tile-line game, is, oh my gosh, I've got the perfect tile, like I was talking about earlier with Sunflower Valley, but the place I want to put it, I can't put it there because I need that space for something else. Here, it's very laws of Do whatever you want with these tiles. Hey, you can um, draw outside the lines if you want to. And it was very refreshing. And a very, very sharp, fun little game. Interestingly, from the same design trio, if I recall correctly, they gave us last year's Point Salad, which was a super popular. popular uh, card drafting game. Now they've moved on to tile drafting, and they've made something... Well, it gets my mouth watering every time I think about it, because I love donuts in real life. But it's a very sharp design, my number eight um, dollars to donuts. Then we move on to number seven, The Dead Eye. This is another game that's going to be on Kickstarter, I think, in a few days from now. Uh, It'll be launching, so you'll be able to see more of it soon. This is a solo-only, post-apocalypse, Mad Max-style adventure game that is so sharp, and there's a lot of things I love about it. You'll be able to see this video soon. Uh, Let's get the big one right out of the way first. The game comes with what you call them, stereoscopic 3D glasses, you know the the red and blue 3D glasses like I used to have as a kid, because uh, Saturday matinees, the creature from the black lagoon, go down to 7-Eleven and get your glasses because it's going to be broadcast in 3D, that kind of stuff. Oh man, I love that they did that here. But what's brilliant about the graphic design of this game, if you don't have the glasses, or you know, a game comes with them, but if you don't want to wear those glasses, it still works. The art has this kind of otherworldly because it does take place on a distant planet where you're having these Mad Max. Kind of almost rainbowish hue to it that just looks like, oh, it's the effect of the atmosphere of this planet. But then as soon as you put the glasses on, boom, it's in really killer 3D. And the depth you feel looking at these cards, oh man, it's a gimmick, but it is an amazing gimmick. The board you play on has these. Layers of depth to it, the cards do. And as you tap the cards to use them, the 3D effect goes away uh, because you're not looking at it from the correct angle and it feels like, oh, they lost all their juice. I need to untap it so it's got its juice and it goes back to 3D. Really neat. But all that aside, this is a very sharp, push your luck adventure game as well, where you've got a deck of cards, you have a good idea of what's in there. Uh, half of the deck is bad stuff, half of the deck is good stuff, but they're multi use cards. You're drawing cards that create encounters, and then you have to decide, am I going to face this encounter? Which means then I'm have to keep drawing from the deck and hopefully get enough juice, the good stuff, and avoid heat, the bad stuff, so I succeeded this encounter. But the thing is, i got to keep track of what's in my deck, because this is a deck-building game as well. Over time, I will get new cards to appear in this deck. And um, right now, is my deck in a good place or bad? Maybe this is not a good time to push my luck, because I don't want to fail at this encounter. But oh, this is an encounter where maybe I actually want the failure to happen, because it gives me more deck-building opportunities, so I'll be in a better position later on when I come across a really important encounter. It's a a very clever design, and I've had a great time playing it solo, because it is solo only. I do wish I could share it with Jen. I think she would enjoy it in spite of the Mad Max, um, you know, Thunder Road, uh, Fury Road type setting. But really sharp. Watch for it coming soon to the channel, um, the paid preview I did for my number seven of the month, The Deadeye. Then we go on to number six, Merchants of the Dark Road. Another paid preview that will be going live this week, I believe. So you can watch for this soon. This is a game where we are merchants in a fantasy world traveling around the city, um, either crafting or buying slash selling all the equipment that all the adventurers want, and then selling it to them. But not only are we selling this stuff to the adventurers at the local inn to get them to join our worthy cause and make a lot of money along the way, we are also occasionally going for trips on the dark road, because there are villages out there in the countryside that need our goods. And we've got to get in our caravan and go out and face little story-driven, um, encounters. Uh, you know, draw a card, it tells you what you've run into, and uh, then you roll some dice, and you've got some dice mitigation to turn out to determine whether you end up with a good or a bad result. Uh, and really, uh, this game, like what we I about earlier? Oh, Cupcake Empire, where you had two different metrics. This one does as well. There's your fame and your money, and whichever of those two is the lowest at the end determines your score. So you want to get rich and famous. It doesn't do any good to complete all those mission objectives that give you more fame if you're broke. And so so balancing those two things, like uh, Cupcake Empire, is a really crucial element of the game. But there is so much more going on, and probably the most important element of this game that makes it stand out is when I eventually decide, you know what, I've got a wagon full of stuff, I've got commissions to go out to this town, and I've, I've got some adventurers who want to go back to that town, because that's their hometown, and they're going to come with me and um, you know protect me on the road, and I'm ready to go. It took me a while to build up for that, to get my wagon full and get the adventurers and the commissions and all that. And all my opponents saw what I was going for. And along the way, they might have... Oh, you know what? They they can see Rado is heading out to... um, Oh, I can't remember the names of the towns. uh, Donmore or whatever. Maybe I'll take a commission for Donmore as well. Or maybe I'll get a passenger who wants to go to Donmore, and I'll just have it lying around. Because when Rado eventually launches his expedition, I can tag along for free. And just get free points, free money, free resources on my opponent's turn, if I can figure out what's going on and what they are valuing. But that means, am I I wasting space on my caravan that I could be for my own goals I have to pursue, so that I've always got a little something on the side so I can tag along with somebody else? And also, there's interesting things, um, you know, if I tag along, or if you tag along with me when I'm going to go, you face the danger of the road as well. And uh, depending on what type of road we're traveling, whether it's a regular one or a shortcut, you might get first dibs on being able to protect yourself, or I might. There's a lot of sharp ideas, and the whole game is driven by a rondelle. And I mentioned earlier in this video... I love Rondell games, and this has got to be one of the coolest rondelles I've ever seen. There's five steps on it that represent 10 locations in the city. The inn where you um, recruit advent- or sell to adventurers. The market where you buy stuff. The, uh, oh, the-, the dark market where you, um, you know, can kind of break the rules in various ways. The nearby ruins you can go plunder and find items rather than having to make them or buy them, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, um, but on your wagon, you've got queued up three dice. Say I've got a D6s. I've got a 6, a 2, and a 1. I, on my turn, have to play that 6, that 2, or that 1. If I play that 6, that means I'm going to move 6 spaces. If I play that 1, I'm only going to move 1 space. So, this is a rondelle, unlike most, where, oh, I always just move 1, 2, or 3, or I pay more to go further. In this game, the dice that I've got tell me what I can do, and that creates so much puzzliness. Because not only do I pick one of those 3 dice, is how far I'm going to move on the rondelle, that's going to tell me what I get access to in the city. But then, I've got to slot another die from my reserve into my queue, so so, you're constantly doing, I must I've bur- burn a hand, two in the bush, I talked about earlier. You're constantly juggling both of those. I could play this two right now. That would get me where I need to go to get that commission because I think you're about to go on a mission. But what do I replace it with? All I can replace it with are fives, and that means I'm going to end up standing still. How do I solve this conundrum? What do I do? What are you going to do? Do I have enough time? Can I get this commission later because you're not about to leave yet? What am I going to do with these dice? I love it. There is all... This game is brilliant. It's big. It's boisterous. It's gorgeous. It's full of really interesting, new, out-of-the-box ideas. You can uh, watch my run-through, I'd, or my preview I do for it when it goes live in a couple of days, but I was very, very impressed. My number six of the month, Merchants. Of the Dark Road. Then we go on to number five, and we have got Zoography. Ah, this is a neat tile laying game, and I'll be honest, I didn't expect that much going into it. I guess it had a, a successful Kickstarter last year, maybe it was two years ago, and this is another case where I was at a convention and the designer, or the publisher came up and said, here, take my game! I love your show! I love your channel! Uh, it's like, you know, I to, and I'm always quick to say, I don't know, I, I really need to vet the games. like, oh, we don't care if you play it or not. We just really want to show you know, our appreciation. You know, that's all very, very nice. And often, like I said, well, in the case of Extra Extra, it stayed on my shelf for five years, and I'm duly chagrined. I should have played that game sooner. It's so sharp. I'm glad we got Zoography out much quicker. And I did, Jen and I did a playthrough live in front of the internet on our most recent Rado Runs Through Live, and oh my gosh, this is a great tile-laying game. We're um, competing to make um, the best zoo we can. We're basically zoo designers, and that's what the tile-laying conceit is. This game comes with tons of lovely uh, animal meeples for all the elephants and giraffes and gorillas and all the very sundry things as we try to build up the perfect habitats. And, interestingly, we have to remember, okay, a big old habitat... We're trying to make these gig- gigantic habitats for them by doing all the tiling. They're so big, there's going to be multiple types of animals, and different types of animals get along with other ones. Um, but the draft to get the animals that we can put in our zoo is this very, very clever system where somehow... You you have to get bundles of animals, and they're never quite the right combination. So you spend a fair bit of time building up, um, you know, doing a tile draft to make the ideal layout, hoping that by the time you've got the habitats that you need, the animals that you were going to draft to put in there are still there, because they might disappear at any given point, because everything about this game is a race. This is another really quick game, and the most interesting thing about this game is the best, the perfect score you can get is a 10. It's like you made a um, 10-star zoo. Uh, And you're not going to do that. The first time Jen and I played this game, our final score was 4 to 2.5. Because you work so hard, and it's so clever, all the different tensions that are going on as you're trying to focus on various things, uh, different objectives, uh, different uh, opportunities to draft, and of course, the restrictions of just trying to get the tiles to line up properly. And of course, the game looks gorgeous, too. But, every time you play, this game has one of the most brilliant objective creation systems I've ever seen. I absolutely love it. It's almost a game in and of itself, as you lay these objectives out. And these are all, the only way you score points is by completing these objectives. And these, if you complete this objective, that's a two-star objective. That's a one-star objective. And, I mean, you're going to do well to maybe get half of those objectives done to good effect. So, this is... Might be a problem for some people. This is a very low-scoring game. Um, you know, Jen, I think our highest score was 7. Um, but... It's Awesome. Well, obviously, it's my number five of the month. And, uh, you know, it's beaten a lot of really great games to get up here. You can watch Jen and I puzzle our way through it. And interestingly, the designer was there as well and uh, straightened out a couple of confusion, computing points we had from the rule book, uh, which I'll be honest, the rule book could have been better. So, uh, more than normal, it's a very good teaching aid because the designer spot checked me and made sure I didn't make any goofs like normal. But anyway, zoography, it's gorgeous, it's fun, it's fast, it really feels very unique. Uh, uh, it's quite unlike any other tile layer out there, and well, it's my number five of the month, Zoography. Then we move on to number four, the Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria. Now, this is a paid preview, but you're not going to see it till July. Uh, r- usually, I end up getting the prototypes of games that I cover for Kickstarters, you know, two, three, four weeks ahead of time. They sent me out Shadow of K- of Kingdoms of Valeria like two months ahead of time. And Gen I what well, we love the Valeria games, absolutely love them, and we love dice drafting. And this is a Valeria game that's all about dice drafting, and very, very cool dice drafting, reminiscent of last year's New Eden, actually. The idea <clears throat> that not only do I want that die, but the bucket that die is in, um, when I take the dice, I will activate the power of the region it's in. So I want those dice over there, but I want those dice over there, because I want that power, but I want that die. <clears throat> and that is awesome. Uh, It was great in... Yukon Airways, now that I think about it. And um, last year's New Eden. And it's phenomenal here. Honestly, this would be Jen's number one of the month. Jen loved this game so much. She just kept raving as we played and played and played. She could not get enough of it. The interesting thing is we are shadowy overlords. We are the creatures of the Valeria kingdom that are finally fighting back to, um, you know, to, t- to take back our land from all these encroachers that we used to play as in all the other Valeria games. But the dice drafting is brilliant, Um and uh, I will, I'm afraid you won't be seeing a video for it until some point in July. But So this is a very, very early sneak peek of a game that I think is going to be very, very well received on Kickstarter. Like I said, this was a paid preview, but Jen and I were super duper impressed uh, by my number four of the month. The Shadow Kingdoms of Valeria. Then we go on to number three, The Whatnot Cabinet. Uh, Another paid preview. This is going to be going on Kickstarter pretty soon, probably this month sometime. And this is another tile layer. Folks, I love tile layers. If it was not already apparent in the past, surely this countdown has made clear just how much I love laying tiles. And any game that um, creates interesting and tension-filled decisions about how to put beautiful tiles out to create a tableau of something is usually going to work well, and this one does phenomenally. This is from one of my favorite filler designers, Steve Finn, although it's from Pencil First Games. This is not his first team-up with them. And uh, both Jen and I were super-duper impressed by this game. It takes the, uh, what do you call it, the worker placement action selection mechanism from King Domino, which is a really cool idea that oh well I I I'm gonna I'm gonna draft something by placing a worker in a spot, but that also determines what my turn order is going to be next round. That works so well in King Domino and its offshoot games, and it works wonderfully here. But you're doing this to be able every round to grab two tiles, two little curiosities that you find when you're out hiking in the woods to put on your cabinet, your whatnot cabinet, and you score points in several different ways in this game uh, by getting you know like. Or getting sets either in rows or columns, or ideally both, uh, in your whatnot cabinet. And it's impossible to um, complete all your rows and columns. So again, you have to compromise like crazy. And, um, it's such a sharp game. The uh, uh, objectives are on public display. Everybody's racing for those. Everybody is drafting to get the best tiles. There's special power tiles that can lead to like some very cool, almost kind of like explosive tile draw moments. And uh, oh, and uh, another favorite thing. This is actually a, a variant module. That isn't part of the base rules, but we loved it. Uh, Everybody has secret goals that are comprised of two different cards represent a color and a curio. If I have purple seashells, that means I want purple seashells. They're worth extra points to me. Um, But I don't want you to know that. But a third of the way into the game, I have to reveal either purple or seashells. And all of a sudden, you know I love purple, or you know I love seashells. And then I eventually got to reveal the other, and this kind of drip feed of secret information you're trying to... Does my opponent know that I want shells? I kept it pretty hidden. Should I not reveal that, or or should I? Is it too obvious? Lots of really cool ideas in a gorgeous, fast, fun-playing little game. And one other thing about the WhatNot cabinet that I will mention now. Not only when it goes live on Kickstarter later this month will you get a, uh, a preview from me—again, uh, a paid preview—you will also get a how-to-play rules overview from um, Ryan Crichton uh, of Knights uh, Around a Table. So Ryan is going to be putting his first Rado Rules run-through on the channel— They'll both go up the same day when the Kickstarter goes live. And I am very, very happy um, to have him on the channel because it opens. I mean, here's the thing a lot of you folks use my videos as rules um, guides. You should not. Please turn on the Klingon subtitles and you'll see how many goofs I make. But Ryan is a consummate professional. He is easily, as far as I'm concerned, one of the best how to play video makers on YouTube today, and that's why I feel incredibly lucky that he has joined our channel, and he's going to be starting to produce. There's going to be another one he's working on right now, which hasn't been announced yet, so I can't talk about it. But uh, So Whatnot Cabinet might be the first video you see from Ryan, depending on when it launches, or a different one. But this is an announcement in case you missed my most recent top 10. Ryan is joining the team, and... um, I think you're going to be very, very happy. He is going to make sure... He is the antithesis to the Klingon subtitles that I normally need to deploy, um, and it's, it's great. So, watch for that coming soon with my number three of the month, The Whatnot Cabinet. Then we got number two, Underwater Cities New Discoveries. Oh, boy. Yeah. Underwater Cities made my top 10. Was it last year? No, no, no. My top 10 of 2018. And it was great. In 2019, the first expansion for it came out. And oh my gosh, this is such a must-have expansion. This expansion is totally mandatory. Um, if you like Underwater Cities and you do not have this expansion, you are cheating yourself out of a game that is easily becomes almost 50% better. Um, it adds a bunch of new modules... You know, uh, some deep, some simple. Uh, The the most important one, to me anyway. I don't know, folks, why. I went back and I was shocked I said this. When I did my original run-through for Underwater Cities, New Discoveries, I filmed it at almost midnight. And I foolishly said, it's a quick game. Underwater Cities is an incredibly long game. Very, very long. I, I don't know what was going through my adult brain at that point. One of the coolest things about New Discoveries is it comes with a fast start mode, where uh, there's a draft that gives you lets you start with a different combination of resources and abilities and powers and all that stuff based off a quick draft you do, and that basically eliminates the first age of the game and easily cuts a half an hour off the gameplay, and it's that first age where very little is happening, nothing has built up yet, you really can't do very much, and it's brilliant. You just Excise all of that and say, hey, you know what? At the end of this age, it was going to take you 15, 20 minutes, depending on how many players you've got or how fast you are. We're just going to cut right to the chase and say, hey, you know what? That age is over, and here's what everybody got out of it. And now the game truly begins, and that's brilliant. But there are so many other cool things, like replacing your uh, Universalist, everybody had the same assistant, with like character specific ones that really give you very cool, very powerful special effects. Lots, I mean, lots of new cards, tons of new cards. I mean, it's impossible to avoid them. Um, a new way that the uh, up top cities work, where they're not all there, and you know, there's a r- there's like more races now going on. Well, I can't beat you on that race, but now I could beat you on this other race over here. So many things to focus on. Um, Underwater cities is already amazing. This expansion though bumps it up significantly in overall game quality. And I cannot stress enough how it makes an already brilliant game super duper brilliant. Well done to the folks. I think it's Delicious Games. Is that the uh, publisher? Uh, but absolutely great. Must have. Underwater Cities, New Discoveries. My number two of the month, but my number one of the month, Wingspans, the European expansion. And I really... you know, I bought this uh, when it first came out. And uh, unfortunately, whenever I buy anything, I very rarely buy games anymore, because that means they go over there on a portion of my shelf that gets no love, because I've always got too many games that have been um, given to me for review purposes by publishers, and I've got to prioritize those. I very rarely get to go and play the things that I bought for myself, because... They were just low on my priority. But after Wingspan won everything in um, all the awards for, you know, it, it, it won the Kenner Spiel. It won eight awards on um, the board game Golden Geek Awards. I'm sure it's going to do very, very well in the upcoming Dice Tower Awards. And I had, Jen and I had not played Wingspan for probably eight months. And I. Wanted to go back and revisit it, so I've got to say thank you to all the those awards for getting me the excuse to get my expansion that I bought to the table. Because I got to say, it's a great expansion for an amazing game. And for the record, folks, not that I think you know so much has happened in the last month. I think um, the brouhaha about the invalidity of a game winning eight awards in the in the Golden Geeks. I think we all maybe are looking at different priorities in our lives right now, with good reason. But when I played this a month ago, um, playing this expansion once again reacquainted me with just how brilliant the core design of Wingspan is. And not for nothing, just how phenomenal this expansion is. It throws in tons of new birds. uh, They're taken from the uh, European... Continent, and I guess there's going to be uh, Eurasian birds, and there's going to be an Oceania birds, and a South America, and so there's lots of expansions coming. But these were, this is not just a quickie. Hey, let's just throw some more stuff in the box. There are so many cool new powers that were introduced with these new birds that really change the feel and really open up. The strategic possibility space, new, um, really much more interesting in game objectives than what the original game came with that um, makes, you know, uh, what some people might have thought were overly dominant strategies in the original game. I'm talking about you, egg layers. Uh, Suddenly, everything can compete. And, um, you know, depending on the setup you get, which is going to be different from game to game with these really cool, powerful, and impactful, um, New objectives. Uh, it's really going to mix the core gameplay and make you play in totally different ways. But then, all the new powers that come in with these new birds, oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Wingspan definitely earned all eight of those nominations. Strictly speaking, I do think the uh, Underwater Cities expansion has a bigger impact, so maybe it should have gotten Best Expansion. But this expansion is phenomenal. phenomenal. And I loved it, and I love Wingspan, and it was my number one game of the uh, month for May 2020. And and that's it, folks. Uh, 19 games in 55 minutes, give or take. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you had a good time. I uh, hope you join me again next month. I know this shirt likely will. And um, uh, speaking of this shirt, here's a little behind the scenes. I have to give a huge shout-out to The Ink Lab in Vancouver, Washington. They're a custom t-shirt shop. And uh, yesterday, when I decided I, I wanted to turn myself into a billboard, because I do feel strongly about this. I started calling around uh, to see if I could get a BLM shirt, and they were impossible to get. I tried to get one directly from the uh, source and their website, and they're sold out. So um, while I do have every intention of getting some official merchandise, because I do want to support, I want my money to go to that cause, in the meantime, I had to get one. So I called a lot of custom shirt places, and nobody said, same-day turnaround, no that's not possible. But uh, the Ink Lab did. They actually said, oh my gosh, that sounds so great. Um, we believe and support the cause as well. We are going to make this happen. And they were able to do it. And they are awesome. So just on the off chance, you happen to be in Vancouver, Washington, or northern Portland, and you need a custom t-shirt, the Ink Lab is your gang. Uh, there's a link for them down in the show notes. Huge shout out to them. Thanks so much for helping out, folks. And uh, that's it. Thanks for watching everybody. Have a nice day. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye.